Thank you. Okay. Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. To qualify, I came into OA August 31st, 2009. So in August, I had five years of abstinence. I was one of those people who were stress abstinent. Um, I, um, I came in really, really desperate. And it came in, I think, more... I wanted to lose weight, but really, what I really, really wanted was to stop eating because my eating was out of control. And I, um, I'm from the Valley, so I drove here this morning from the West West Valley, so that was nice. Um, thank you, Lauren, for asking me to come out. I've been to this meeting a couple of times. Normally, my Saturday morning meeting is Burbank, 7.30 in the morning, so it's one of those yeah, I'm willing to get up on my only day that I can sleep in and leave my house at 6.45 so I can get to a meeting and start my weekend that way in recovery. So um, let me get into what it was like. I grew up in a family that was dysfunctional, which after coming into the program I learned was affected by alcoholism. And I was, like, all my needs were met, but I was pretty neglected. And so I became self-sufficient at a really early age. Like, I was doing my own laundry by the time I was nine. I had to learn how to, you know, take care of my own hair. Because I was a little girl at school with, like, the knots in her hair and the dirty clothes. And I was made fun of ruthlessly by the kids. And um, so I learned how to do that stuff for myself and put on that like, no, I'm fine, everything's fine. And in our household, my, like I believe my brother is a compulsive overeater and he, he was overweight. And as a kid, I wasn't overweight. I was super active because I was always wanting to stay away from the house. So I was always out on my bike or wherever. And so dinner time was always like my dad berating my brother about his weight or about the way he ate. And so I learned early on that I couldn't gain weight or I couldn't eat like that and let my dad know or he wouldn't love me because that's how it seemed like, you know, he didn't love my brother very much. So, so I learned um, early on to hide it. So I my binges were in secret. And when we were little... My dad bought a freezer for the garage and like a, I don't know, like a half a cow or a quarter of a cow. And they gave it, like when you buy that much meat at one time, they give you these boxes full of other stuff. So it was like fruit cocktail and ravioli. And my closet, I had room in my closet. Like there was no room in the pantry for these big boxes. So these things went into my closet and I would go in the kitchen and grab the can opener and sneak it so it wouldn't make any noise and sit in my closet and open cans of fruit cocktail or ravioli or whatever and eat those um, just sitting in the closet. And food was, you know, food was a way that it helped me not feel a lot of that pain that was, you know, like our household, everybody was always yelling and it was just, like, everybody was angry all the time, and so food helped me um, escape that. And 
as I grew up, I learned how to go to other people's houses who had good food because we didn't really have like the good food. Like my dad was into wheat bread, and so like we didn't have like the white bread or like the only thing we really had was pound cake, and that's pretty boring. So um, I would seek out other kids. There was a little girl that lived next door. She was four years younger than me, and so like we didn't really have a lot in common, but I would play with her because they always had cookies and chips, and her family would go to Jack in the Box, and um, I remember this one day there were like these Fat Albert cookies that like were just new, and they, I think they were peanut butter, and so I just like played with her all day, and like, can you get some more of those cookies? Can you go back to the house? And um, that, I mean, that was pretty much like my my childhood, like trying to get away from the house, going to stay with other people. Um, as a teenager, one of my best friends, like her mom would shop and fill up the kitchen. It was like a convenience store. We would, you know, like go out and then go back and eat. And and it was, um, it was great. Like that, I, you know, I didn't struggle with my weight. I was always busy, but then, um, I wound up getting pregnant when I was really young, and I had my first son when I was 20 years old, and that was when, like, my weight went up over what, you know, like, is considered a normal, healthy weight for my size, and I, um, that's when, like, the restricting and everything started, and, um, I want to qualify, I didn't go into what I weighed, so I came in in 2009, at somewhere around 200 pounds, probably a little bit over, and I've been maintaining around between an 80 and 90 pound weight loss since 2000, like I think the end of 2010, I'm not sure. So it's the first time in my adult life that I've been at a healthy body weight and not struggling with restricting or just any of the diets and stuff. And um, for people who are listening on here, like I say 200 pounds, but I'm 4'11", so you can't see how tall I am. But, you know, people come up to me all the time and they're like, oh, I, you know, I have to learn not to compare myself to you because 200 pounds, and I'm like, yeah, 200 pounds for me is like twice what I should weigh. So, um, anyway, so um, my 20s was just a bunch of restricting. It was a lot of diet pills, diet coke, cigarettes. Um, hiding what I was eating, um, binging, and then like restricting for weeks, and and then um, oh, I brought my pictures too. They're like a really good what it was like because there's pictures of like me in my 20s where you know I look like I'm at a healthy weight, and um, that was a lot of a lot of restricting, and then um, when I hit 30, like. I feel like life got real. Like I started my career. I was, I had two little kids, but then I'd had another son, and I was trying to do, um, you know, my career and raise these little kids. And then my parents are older. My dad was sick at that time, and so I just, I couldn't. Like the restricting wasn't working for me anymore, and the diet started and and um, my my husband at the time he like when we had gotten together when we were younger 
he was a sober alcoholic, and so I thought, you know, oh, he's fixed. He's not an alcoholic anymore. And then he he went out and started drinking and using again, and we broke up. And so I have like these little kids, and I'm raising them by myself. And it like food was the thing that just helped me like power through all that. And then, like, in my mid-30s, I got into a relationship with someone who, you know, like, I wanted a human power to relieve me from my overeating, and he was a trainer. He was, a, like, a semi-pro athlete, and he trained people at the gym. So I was like, oh, you know, will you train me? And he was like, sure. And so I was getting this free training from him, and then he wanted to date, and... It was better than being by myself, so I got into this relationship with him. And the training wasn't working. Like, I was still 180 pounds. And so then he wanted to fix me. And so he, you know, was like, oh, you want to do Weight Watchers? I'll go with you to the meetings. Oh, you want to do Jenny Craig? I'll pay for it. And, you know, Nutrisystem, they mail these big, huge boxes full of this, like, dried food and food that didn't have to be like frozen and and I did that for like you know like small periods of time and I would lose a little bit of weight but you know I would gain it right back so you know I started the commercial diets when I was 30 at like I weighed about 130 pounds and I just dieted my way up to 200 pounds it was like you know lose 20 gain 30 lose 40 gain 50 and so that was that was what it was like and um you know, when I turned 40, I was going to fix it all. I was, you know, everything was going to be fine. I was going to lose my weight. I was going to get my finances in order. Everything was going to be great. And what happened was I turned 40, and it just got worse, like, that year. Like, um, I I was, again, like, wanting something else to fix my my you know, my overeating and my weight problems. So I joined my work softball team. And I broke my ankle. I was, you know, 185 pounds probably at that time, you know, trying to run. And I broke my ankle. And um, so I had that. So, you know, I I sat around feeling sorry for myself with a cast and gained more weight. My mom had fallen and broken her hip during that time. And she came to live with me. And I had all these resentments about, like, she didn't raise me, so now why should I have to take care of her? And, you know, like, the only thing that was helping that stuff feel, like, somewhat manageable was if I could shove in a whole bunch of food. And then um, these other things started happening with my finances and with my work, and... I got to a point where I was in so much pain and, like, there was no amount of food that could make that any better. And I just kept trying more and more and more. And, like, none of it was taking that pain away. And that's where I think, like, you know, when people say, by the grace of God, I got here. For some reason, um, at that time, my ex-husband, he had been sober and Alcoholics Anonymous for about three years at that time. And I could see the difference in him, and I was noticing that. And somehow, like, in a conversation with him, we were talking about 
our youngest son, but it just, I don't know why, I just started crying and telling him that, you know, I couldn't stop eating, I was out of control, and he suggested, you know, maybe you need a meeting, and I said, what do you mean? And I knew about OA, I'd come with a friend back in, like, the late 80s, and I identified, but, you know, I wasn't fat, so I didn't want to stay, and... You know, it took me 20 years to come back, and so I went to a meeting. I'm from the Valley, so my first meeting was at the Darby office, and they were reading AA literature, which I didn't understand. Like, why are you guys reading this? And I just, you know, like, when I heard people talk about how they ate, I I just knew, like, this is it. I'm home. This is where I belong. And... My um, my ex-husband had given me, like, these guidelines, like, go to meetings early, help set up, always thank the speaker, stay after, you know, and just keep going, like, try to get to a meeting every day. And so that's what I did. I just got to meetings every day, and I eventually got a sponsor, even though, like, the night that I got the sponsor, like, I was ready to leave because I was, I couldn't find a sponsor, and I was like, these people are crazy, they're talking about their cats, and the music in Trader Joe's, and, you know, I, I just want to stop overeating, and so I got a sponsor, and I started going to this meeting with her that is now my home meeting, and it's, it, it just moved to the new office in Woodland Hills, and we read the AA literature, and in the beginning, like, I had no idea why we were reading it or what we were even reading, but um, I've been going to that meeting pretty much every Thursday for the last, you know, over five years now, and my life has just changed in so many ways, and, you know, I, I got with the sponsor, and she had me start working the steps. The first thing she had me do was write the, like, my food inventory or my history with food, and that was like a really good exercise in steps one and two because I could see um, that like I was powerless over food and that um, I was also insane with food. Like this, all the things I had done, I think it came out to like 16 handwritten pages. And I do all my writing by hand, um, pen to paper, because I think that there's something it happens when you do it that way that doesn't actually come out when you do it on a keyboard. So um, I've written volumes, like, in the five years that I've been here. Um, but I started working with steps with her. Um, steps one, two, and three is something, like, she taught me, like, that's every day. It's not like, oh, I did steps one, two, and three, and then I was done, and I moved on to step four. It's like every day I come up with, you know, like, oh, I'm powerless over food oh my gosh, I'm crazy, my thoughts are crazy around it, I need something greater than myself that can relieve me from that insanity, and that, um, you know, like, the only thing that's worked for me that I saw was turning my will over to God, or, you know, even if at first it didn't seem like, like, oh, God's will, because I didn't really know what that was when I came in, it was just not something that wasn't my will, like, you know, what did my sponsor say? What did this person at the meeting say? What does the group say? So, um, really just anything that wasn't me, because it, like, through the writing that my sponsor had me doing, it was also 
very clear to me that my ideas didn't work and that all my plans, you know, I'm going to lose this much weight by this time and, and, you know, like none of those things worked. And even, you know, the insanity was that I was going to the doctor and they were telling me, you know, you're pre-diabetic, oh, your blood pressure is high, we're going to send you to the high blood pressure clinic. Like none of those things could get me to stop eating. Like I would still drive through McDonald's on the way home from, from those kinds of doctor visits. And um, so I got through, like, all the writing and everything she wanted me to do for one, two, and three. And then I started a four-step inventory. And she had me do it in columns from the big book. And while I was doing that, I was still doing, like, steps one, two, and three um, from this list of... It's an APOR writing thing. I think it stands for Applied Principles of Addictive Recovery. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's all on steps one, two, and three, and a lot of it comes from the AA literature, and, you know, I was doing that writing, and I was writing a fourth step, and, well, actually, I started that writing when I started with my second sponsor, so during that time of my fourth step, I had started doing a fifth step with my first sponsor, and I got about two-thirds of the way through it, and then I realized that I needed to work with somebody else because it just wasn't working. Our relationship wasn't working anymore. And so I got a different sponsor. So I started working with that sponsor. That's when I started the APOR writing. And I got through, she had me write like two sections of the fourth step a different way, the way that she had done it. So I went back and redid that writing. And then I got about two-thirds of the way of giving that one away, and her sponsor told her that she had to let her sponsees go, and so I had to find another sponsor, and so this time I was like, okay, you know, will you just listen to my, you know, like, to my fourth step, and she did, and it was great, and she looked really bored while I was reading it to her, and we, like, I read the whole thing, like, I think it was, like, maybe, like, two different meetings that we met, and um, and it was great, and so I got through that, and then um, started working on steps six and seven, and looking at my character defects and how they affect me, and, you know, um, Doing like the, you know, like, like um, answering all the questions. Then I started working in the OA literature too, and answering all the questions, um, seeing how every day my character defects come up and they get in the way of my relationship, not just with people but also with my higher power, and how, you know, like if I'm not able to have those relationships, then that's when my life gets unmanageable, like when those relationships are messy. So um, I went through that, and every morning now, like, I have this this thing that I do that my sponsor calls the recipe for recovery, and it's, you know, I read On Awakening, I read the first three steps, I serenity prayer, third step prayer, I read my list of character defects, I do the seven-step prayer, and I also do this other thing where I listen to the 11-step prayer, and that's really helped me at work to to just get out of myself and, and be more of service to others, to just, you know, know that my purpose is to, you know, help others and not just be into, like, 
like, oh, poor me. This is why my life is so bad because that's, that's like how I was before I came into OA. And um, right now I'm, um, like, I did an eighth step. I wrote, you know, I made lists of people that I need to make amends to. And I'm, you know, I'm working on those amends now. And it's not easy. Like, my head tells me I don't want to do that. And my ego gets tied up in that. And, you know, I've learned from OA that if I'm in my ego, then I'm edging God out. And I can't, you know, like, I can't. It's the same thing. Like, I, my life gets unmanageable, and I can't do life when I'm doing that. So I've been working on making amends. And steps 10, 11, and 12, like, I had a sponsor who had me start doing a 10th step and, you know, I'm like, but I'm not on step 10. I don't want to do that. And so I don't do it perfectly. I do it, um, I go through like little spurts of it and I've done it different ways. Like I've done a very detailed 10th step that comes from the questions in the big book. I've done the AEIOU 10th step that a lot of people in OA do. And I've, um, I've also, like, looked at, you know, like, what tools should I use today out of the nine tools of OA. And steps 11 and 12, like, step 11, I, you know, I pray and I read in the morning. I write imperfectly. Like, I try to write a God letter every morning. And sometimes I don't, you know, like, I, I don't make the time to do that. And I... I meditate very imperfectly, <laughs> and meditation, it's been really hard for me to quiet my brain down, and it started with just, like, two minutes, and I have, like, all these different little ways that I do it. Like, it could be um, two minutes with mantras that I've learned from, like, actually, I learned some of them here in OA, but um, some of them come from outside sources and I have little apps on my phone that I use to meditate and you know just whatever it is that like when I'm meditating I can't think about like any of the stuff that my brain wants to spin about whether it's you know what I'm going to eat or how you know like what I'm going to do or how I'm going to treat somebody or some situation it's like when I'm meditating my brain just slows down and then I can hear like those little um God thoughts that come in and I just you know I'm really grateful for a way that it's changed my life so much and I think this is the first place that I've ever really felt accepted and loved for who I really am and not who who I want you to think I am like that here I get to learn how to be that person and just the love that's shown to me my sponsor is here today and like I didn't know she was going to come and it's just um, it's just great how you know like my the worst thing in my life, which was my you know like my relationship with food being so overweight and unhealthy and the unmanageability like that those things are what got me here and that you know five years later I have this totally different life that you know I don't wake up every morning like with the dread of like oh my god <laughs> like how am I going to do today but um anyways that's um that's my share thanks for letting me share
there any questions? Yeah. I can't hear the whole part. Oh, okay. So the question is, how did working the program affect me being a mother? Um, it, it's actually my kids when I started. When I started, I think my older son was 20. Yeah, my older son was 20, and the younger one was 14. And so the younger one was just starting high school, and the older one was like trying to figure out like what he's going to do. And so um, the older one has or had at that time a lot of resentments towards me about like. You you did this for him and you didn't do this for me and you're you know you're it's your fault that I'm this way and um it just like working with a sponsor and like talking about these things writing about these things turning things over to God instead of trying to manage it and control it myself it's just like I started to see the shift in our relationship and. Like, I think within, like, somewhere around the first year of abstinence, like, our relationship had just totally changed where he was calling, you know, just to say he loved me and, like, he hasn't blamed me for things. There was, um, you know, I grew up in a lot of dysfunction and, you know, they call it codependency, but... You know, when I was growing up, everybody lived with us, and my dad let, you know, everything go. Like, everything was allowed. And so, like, working um, with a sponsor, like, I made loving decisions on, you know, like, you're an adult, you have to be self-supporting, and, you know, it's not because I don't love you, it's because, you know, you're not going to learn how to be an adult if I keep taking care of you. And... You know, I thought he was going to have a lot of resistance to that, and and he didn't. Like he's um, like, and he's doing really well now. He's 26, and he's got an apartment of his own. And you know, I mean, things still come up, and and he has his own issues. But you know, from what I've learned, like he has his own higher power, and it's not me, and I can't manage and control any of it. And the younger one is, you know, he got through high school without me trying to manage and control everything and and he you know he's got like a good job right now and he's 19 and and he decided he didn't want to go to college and you know like that's not what I want for him but that's you know the same thing he has his own higher power and his own path and I just have to let them have their own path and just you know love them through it all and so I think I mean, I don't know what it would have looked like without OA, but I just think that because of the working the principles in all my affairs, it's just much, much different. So, thank you. How do you... The question is, how do I treat myself differently or how do I talk to myself? So, um, before OA, like, almost everybody else always came first, like, with, um, you know, like me doing things for others and not really doing anything for myself. Like, the only area where I was really selfish, where, like, I put myself first was with the food. Like, you know, I've got to get that first or, you know, I don't care if they eat, I'm going to eat. So, um, today it's like, um, 
you know, I make sure my needs are taken care of. Like, you know, if I need to go to the grocery store and have the foods that I eat on my food plan, you know, um, I make time to, you know, do, like waking up in the morning and, and doing like the reading, writing, praying, meditating, and making myself available to talk to the women that I sponsor, it, you know, like, that's self-care to me because I need, you know, it's like I need them more than they need me. Like, I need to make that connection in the morning and and work on recovery. And so, like, those are ways that I treat myself differently. And, you know, just making time to make sure that, you know, I'm going to my doctor appointments or, you know, I'm brushing my teeth before I go to bed, those kinds of things. Um, and the way I talk to myself is just different in the, you know, my first sponsor would always, you know, I would get into the, like, beating myself up, and she would get into, you know, like, just be gentle with yourself. And so, like, a lot of my, you know, like, I had that that kind of, like, oh, you know, my fat ass, blah, blah, blah. And I just, like, she would tell me, be gentle with yourself. So when I'd have those thoughts or those things would come out of my mouth, I would, you know, remember her saying that. And so, like, today, I don't know, I just, I it's gone like I don't talk to myself that way a lot of it you know it's that I don't know how it works I don't know why it works it just works and it, to me that's like the the like God does that for us like we can never do that for ourselves so it's just different today okay um that's a long question <laughs> um how has my relationship with my ex-husband changed um, with both of us about having programs? And then what other service do I do for, um, for program? So um, I, I said that I noticed the change in him, that he was different after his three years in sobriety. And now he has, I think he has about nine years now. But um, he, I mean, he wasn't showing up at all for his kids, and then he started showing up, and then I got into program, and, like, there was a while where we were both going to um, meetings in another program together and taking our son to the kids' version of that program, but, um, I mean, we just work together better as parents. Um, he still doesn't show up the way I think he should, and, you know, that's... Like, again, it's like that's his path and his thing, and, you know, it's none of my business to tell him what, you know, how I think he should be doing. And, um, but, I mean, he has a good relationship with our sons now, too, and, and him and I have a good relationship. And um, as far as what I do for other things that I do for service, like, since I've been new, I've pretty much always had two or three different meeting commitments. Um Right now I have commitments in two different meetings that I go to regularly. I was on the intergroup board for the San Fernando Valley for two years, and I didn't do it last year because I went back to grad school, but I'm finishing that up, so this, like, elections are on Monday. So I'm planning to go back to the board and be of service that way. And we do a lot of fundraisers for intergroup, like uh, dances and... Um, I don't know, bracelet making, things like that. So I participate in those things. And, 
you know, it's service for me has been a big, like, you know, when I came in, it was like, I just want to show up and everything's already done and I just get what I want and leave and you guys all put it away and clean it up and, you know, like, just from the beginning learning, like, get there early, set up chairs, put chairs with and, like, it's, you know, it's just being of service and, you know, they, I heard early on it's, you know, service is swimming and it keeps you abstinent, so... You know, it starts out as a selfish thing, like, oh, I can, you know, I'm doing this because I want to stay abstinent, but then it, it turns into, like, you know, how can I be of service to others and be of service to God? And so that's the difference. In it. It's <laughs> um, a funny question. Um, so the question was, do I have to work with other people at my job? And what was the second part? Oh, and if so, what's that like? So um, I do work with other people, and I, like, right after I got absent, like, I got absent August 31st, and, like, the end of October, they gave me an assistant, like, my bosses gave me this assistant who, like, couldn't work with anybody else, and that's why I got stuck with him. And, and, um, and it was challenging, and so, like, it started out with, you know, like, blah, 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 he did this. And then my sponsor had me do the 14-day the resentment prayer that it talks about in one of the stories in the big book. And I did it for, like, hundreds of days, and things just weren't changing. And, um, and then, like, somebody had suggested that I act as if, like, I act as if I'm interested in what he has to say or, you know, like, that he being a nice person to him, like, I had to act as if. And then, like, something shifted. It took, like, you know, maybe a couple of years. But but it did shift eventually. But, like, you know, he got better working with me, but then, like, he had some other issues that were outside of him being my assistant. And he actually was just terminated recently. And so it's, you know, like, I could see in that situation that if I would have been trying to get him fired, like, if I would have been trying to force my will... It, like, that wouldn't have gone over well or been pretty, and, you know, like, it just took care of itself, so, but, yeah, the, um, the other thing is, like, I work with, um, I work with, like, a room full of younger people, <laughs> and they can be challenging, and I have, like, a little message to myself on my phone that it reminds me, like, I can't change them, I can only change my reactions to them, and that, you know, if it gets really, like, really, really stressful, I can step outside and meditate and just, you know, bring my myself back to being a spiritual being and not, you know, like, trying to manage and control and being angry all day. So, thank you. Any questions? Okay. Uh, with my daily spiritual practice. So, um, I talked about the morning, um, the recipe for recovery, and, you know, um, my, my first sponsor taught me that, that on awakening is, is how we pray. And, or it's that whole section, like, you know, when we go to bed at night, too, like the 10th step. But, um, so I do that in the morning, and then I, on the way to work, I listen to this 11th step meditation that I talked about, and, and, you know, I've heard people say, like, oh, I meditate when I'm driving. And I'm like, you can't do that. You know, it's going to the accident. Like, what are you talking about? But, but you can't. Like, if you're listening to these, to these things, like, you, it actually, because you're thinking about that, and you can still pay attention to what's going on around you. But um, 
so I listen to that on the way to work, and then um, I have like the little daily readers, and I have like you know several that I read from um, some that like I read the OA ones, but also ones outside of OA, and so I read those. There's um, there's like an email that I get that has the same thing, like the thoughts for the day and or today's gift, and I read that like at some point through the afternoon and. Um, at night, I, I try to do some writing and do, um, like, I I talked about pen to paper, but, like, when I do a 10-step thing, it's usually electronically, like, I do it on my phone. And those are the ways, and, you know, like, meetings, and um, I'm very connected with my fellows in OA, so, like, texting throughout the day. At my job, I can't really be on the phone, so we text a lot and, you know, like, connecting that way. Thank you. How do you handle disclosure or non-disclosure people? Okay. Okay, so the question was, what is my absence in the beginning compared to today, and how do I disclose whether I'm a member of OA? Is that for you? Oh, meals with people I don't know. Okay. Um, so my absence, I didn't talk about the absence, but it's um, it's three meals and up to two snacks. And in the beginning, it was like I had to have those snacks, and now I only have them like if my meals are like not on my regular schedule. Um, but we made a list of my red light foods in the beginning, and. Um, so I had this list and I knew it from like all the diets that I'd done, like, you know, when I eat fried foods, I, you know, it sets me up to just keep eating or if I eat popcorn or whatever. So I don't have foods in my absence, but I don't eat those alcoholic foods or red light foods. And um, I mean, I have a food plan that puts parameters around my food. And so like in the beginning, because I weighed more, I got more food, and, you know, as I've lost weight, it's been less food, but, you know, there was a time where I had to ask God for it to be enough, because I was just like, oh my God, that's not going to be enough food, and it's been fine, and so my absence today pretty much looks like what it looked like in the beginning, although there, you know, there's been foods that, that I had to say goodbye to that like weren't working right and it's sad it's you know like I said I had a morning session for potato salad like it was like oh I can't eat it so um and then like meals with people like um I fellowship with people before one of my regular meetings and so I eat with other people in OA a lot and so I think learning how to eat with people in OA help me learn how to eat with people outside of OA. And so like some people know that I'm that I have a twelve step program for um for eating, but um they still, you know, like, well you've lost your weight, you can have a cupcake now and it's like, yeah no, no thanks. But um, in the beginning, like, it was hard for me to say no. Like, I would accept things, and then I would just wait and then throw it out. Um, but now it's, like, it's easier for me to just, you know, say, like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm just not eating any of that today. Thanks. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, 
a lot of it too, I think in the beginning was more like that, you know, people pleasing, like I don't want to offend anybody and, you know, like today it's my absence is the most important thing, so, you know, I can just say like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not having it today, I think, and just, you know, and if they try to push it, it's like, that's them, not me, it's like their thing. I have any black or white foods that if I eat them, my abstinence would be broken. Um, I don't have the foods that, like, oh, if I ate this food, my I would break my abstinence. But I do have, like, if I ate outside of, like, three meals, two snacks. So, um, if, like, sometimes I'll think, like, did I have two snacks today? Like, am I forgetting one? You know, like, it's... Like, that would be a break in my abstinence if I ate outside of that. But um, I know, like, in the beginning, that was a little more iffy because I was eating the two snacks every day. And so then um, I would have to stop and think, like, can I eat something else? But having, like, a food plan with the parameters that it does, it also kind of keeps it so that, you know, like, I know how much I need at each meal. And if I'm eating more than that, then I'm overeating. So... So yeah, I mean like I can say that my abstinence is perfect. I've done three meals and two snacks or less from the beginning, but um, but not like the foods wouldn't break my abstinence. That's it. Oh, sorry. Okay, that's it. <laughs>